Open your Bibles with me this morning to Romans, the ninth chapter. Romans chapter 9. I want to humble you and humble me beneath the mighty hand of God. Amen. That we might be exalted in due time. And there's no better way to do it than just to look at how he treats men. I want to read again verses 10 through 24, verses that we read last Sunday, but I want to read them again this morning. They're verses that we ought not to forget, because as we forget them, we will become proud as we hear all of the words that are said in our society about the dignity of man and the glory of man, the goodness of man, and all of those ridiculous statements, because this chapter doesn't leave much glory for man. And I hope that you can follow these words with understanding. Romans chapter 9, at verse 10. At verse 10, we have introduced Rebecca, who conceived by Isaac and had twins in her womb. And so we take up in the 10th verse. And not only this, But when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay but, O man, Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. You can resent these words. You can pretend you don't understand these words but they're the truth. This is the truth of God. God does not think highly of men. The Bible tells us that we're worms and we're less than worms, and worms is a very kind description for us. If you consider us in light of our sins, we're worse than worms. 
At least the worms have not stood up on their hind legs and raised their fist in God's face and said, I will not let you be Lord over me. We all have done that, and we all continue to do it. And but for his grace, he should grind us under his heels. Last Sunday, I wanted to teach you about God to humble you and to humble me, that we would humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God so that he could exalt us in due time. Last Sunday, we talked about God as the sovereign power of the universe who did not consult you about anything. And yet he brought your soul into existence. Which soul you have that feels? Do you have a soul that feels? Amen. You have a soul that feels, a soul that fears, a soul that hopes, a soul that can suffer pain. He brings it into existence without asking you. You were never consulted. Would you like to have an eternal soul? And suffer the consequences of that before he created you. He didn't ask you. He just gave you a soul. And I was told by some that heard me last Sunday that they found the point very humbling that you can't turn it off. You know, those in hell wish they could turn their souls off so that there would be no more suffering. But they cannot turn it off. There is a God so great that he created your soul without asking you. He chose how tall you were going to be, how wide you were going to be, how dumb you were going to be, how privileged you were going to be, what kind of parents you would have, what experiences you would have in life, where the moles would grow on your face, and every other feature of your anatomy. He chose what nation you would be born into. He chose what generation in the history of the world in which you would be born. He chose whether you would hear the gospel or not. He chose it all, and he never asked a question. He didn't say, if I make you short and wide, if I make you dumb and ugly, if I give you parents who don't really love you, and I set you in a nation that has no prosperity, do you still want to exist? He didn't ask. That is a great being. Would would you agree with me? Amen. And if you're disagreeing with me at any point right now, would you tell me about the conversation you had with God before he created you? I would like to hear about it. Because I would go back and ask him to be over six feet tall. You all understand there is a great God that we're dealing with. And he makes all those choices. And last Sunday was to tell you that when we look in the mirror and we complain about something, we are forgetting all of the other things he did give us. When we look in a mirror and we complain about something, we are complaining against the God most high. We are saying to the potter, you did not make me well enough. And brethren, we are the clay. And he can fashion us any way he wishes. And brethren, I wish that we could all agree right now that the way he has created us and ordained our lives for us is wonderful and perfect and a blessing and glorious. That was last Sunday. This morning I want to talk about the God that decides eternal destinies for those souls by his own choice. And I want to approach it a little differently than I usually preach. We're going to have to turn in our Bibles many times this morning. 
I just want to overwhelm the God of this world. The God of this world is called free will. The God of this world is an exaltation of the human spirit. The God of this world is satanic and it's a lie. Amen. And that is that you have a right to your own soul. And that is not true. God did not ask you how intelligent you would be. If you, how intelligent you wanted to be. God did not ask you if you would allow him to give you to a bad set of parents. God did not ask you anything. And brethren, if you don't think that it's fair, then you don't understand God because God is perfectly fair and it should not even be questioned or raised as a, as a discussion. And I'm not going to defend him except to say this. We all sinned in our first father, Adam. He was the most intelligent man that ever lived. He only had one commandment to keep. He did not have a sin nature. God was his personal friend in a perfect world, in a perfect environment. He couldn't blame it on his parents because God created him. And that man chose to rebel against God for a woman. It is perfectly fair. Every child in the history of this world has always suffered because of decisions made by their father, their grandfather, and the head of their nation, and other men in positions of authority. If a king makes a bad decision or a president makes a bad decision, the children and the members and the citizens of that nation all suffer because of that bad choice. We know that. Let us look and see it. It's true. But let us look and see that we had a choice in Adam and we made that choice under the very best of circumstances we rebelled against the Most High God. Right. He would be perfectly just and right to send us all to hell. Amen. We're in Romans chapter 9. Did God choose the eternal destiny of souls? Amen. Romans chapter 9 verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor? and another unto dishonor. Is it true that a potter can take a lump of clay and set it on his wheel and spin that wheel and make one vessel that's beautiful and make another vessel that's ugly? Yep. Does he have the right to do that? Amen. Hath not the potter power? That word power there is authority or right. Doesn't he have the right or authority to do that? And they do do it. And remember, last Lord's Day we looked in Isaiah 45. What if you made the image of a man, but you didn't give him any hands? The potter uses his clay to make the image of a man, but doesn't just gives him stubs, but no hands. Isaiah 45, I, I love it. Does that clay have a right to say, you forgot my hands? This is, what, this is God's illustration for us. Does the clay have the right to say, you forgot my hands? No, it doesn't. The clay is mud. Amen. And brethren, the Lord compares us to mud. You know what I said I would do if I was the potter and the clay said to me, you forgot my hands. I would say to the clay, well, I'm going to pick, put you back in the mixing bowl and I'm going to add a little water until I can wash you down the drain. Amen. Wouldn't you do the same? Yes. If the, if the mud tried to speak to you and tell you that you had made a mistake, that it wasn't right and fair what you had done with the clay... And the Lord brings that illustration up here in verse 21 and says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump, the lump of humanity, to make one vessel to honor and another unto dishonor? 
If you will ever get a picture of this God, do you know what it will do to you? It will drive you to your knees to say only a few words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you think that you have within you the power to choose God or to reject him, you've made yourself a God, and that's the religion of our country. It is called the God of free will. That man has a free will, and that will is so powerful, it can choose God or it can reject God, and God sits in heaven reacting to our will. Our, my God doesn't react to your will. My God has free will. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's verse 15. I also read in verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. God has a free will, but not you and not me. May he humble us with this sermon this morning. Look at verses 15 and 16. I know I just quoted it, but I must have you look at it. It is a common rule of speech and oration that the the comprehension and retention of seeing and hearing at the same time is 60% better than just hearing. Aren't you thankful that we have the Word of God? Do you know how many congregations have sat there without anything in their laps? You have it in your laps. We're very blessed. I read in Romans 9, verse 15, that God had already said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, there is an I will in Romans 9, 15, four times. But whose will is it? Is it the sinner's will? It's God's will. And then we have the sinner's will in, in your will and my will in verse 16. So then it is not of him or her that willeth, nor of him or her that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. If mercy is shown toward a human being, if mercy is shown shown toward a man or a woman, it is by God's will. And that should humble us. Sleeping or waking, there are no other words for your lips, but God be merciful to me, a sinner. We are so distracted by the things of this life If you ever got a hold of 10% of what I'm trying to say to you, nothing in this life would matter. No house, no car, no job, no wife, no lover, nothing would matter. Except God be merciful to me, a sinner. The horror of a God that controls our souls. The fear of the Lord is easy, if you were to hear that, but it's not taught any longer. I read in John chapter 1 and verse 13 for any of those free will lovers that might hear this tape. In John 1, 13, we'll be coming to it later. Those that are born of God, those that are born again, it is not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 13. It is God that shows mercy. And therefore, when we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, we are truly begging. We are not asking him to repay us for the asking. We are begging. God doesn't give mercy because we ask for it. God gives mercy. And then we beg for it. After he gives us mercy. Because no man would ever ask for mercy without God. Showing it to them that they ought to ask for it. Do you know what man would do without God's mercy? They would stand and raise their fist in his face 
and say, crucify him. They would say, we will not have this man to reign over us. They would say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? They would say, let the rocks and the hills cover us, but they would not run to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and beg for mercy. The only ones that ever come begging are the ones that God has already shown mercy to. If I could ever, if I could communicate that to you right now, how the Lord has blessed me in the last few weeks to see that so clearly that when I lay in my bed and I beg him for mercy, that it is entirely by his mercy that I'm even forming those words or have the time in my soul to say them. And I love him for it. I don't care about height or what. Yes, I do care about my weight. I have to work on that, but that's not his fault. That's my fault for eating too much. I don't care about all those other things he did, but his choice to show a blessing to me in loving him and loving his word and begging for mercy, what a blessing. Everyone in this room, under the sound of my voice, that has a desire to serve the living God, you are most blessed. Forget that you're single. I'm sorry that you're single. I pray for you. But forget it. It doesn't matter compared to knowing the God that has blessed you and has not let you go your own way. Because your own way is the wages of sin, and the wages of sin is death. And death in God's definition is eternal torment in the lake of fire. I'm thankful that he overrode my will. I'm thankful that God saved me against my will. If God had waited for my will to come around, he'd still be waiting. Because my will is sinful, the Bible tells me, but I'm thankful he saved me against my will by his almighty will, who doeth all things according to the counsel of his own will. I'm thankful for that. Romans 9.21, the potter has power over clay. He has authority and the right to make whatever he wishes. He can take the same lump and make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor. Now, look at verses 22 and 23, where the Apostle Paul applies that to you and to me. Right. And this is not preached. I'm sorry, you, you put your heads down and I want you to come back up a second. Why, doesn't, why don't I see some big signs in the end zone of some football stadiums with Romans 9.22? Romans 9.22, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? God has created some men for eternal destruction. You say it's not fair. You're forgetting who God is. Do you know what God says about that, that it's not fair? Do you know what he says twice? God forbid the question. Who are you to think that you should even ask? You don't even have the right to ask. Paul did not. That verse 19, when those two questions are formed against Paul, and Paul knew they would come, he didn't in verse 20 say, I'm sorry, I I must have explained it improperly. You've gone to an extreme position. I didn't really mean it that bad. No, there's nothing like that from the mouth of Paul except, man, stop, shut up. 
Who are you to ask a question against God? That we don't have that right. It is fair. What if God willing? And when you're thinking about, is it fair or not for God to create human souls for eternal torment? You need to ask yourself about Satan. Was it fair for God to create Satan knowing full well he was going to sin and fall and that knowing full well that God was going to prepare an eternal place of torment for him where he could be tormented forever and ever? But I've never heard anyone preaching about how it's not fair for Satan to be sent to hell. Why? That is the pride of man. They want to protect themselves, but they don't care about anyone else, including a devil that was once the anointed cherub of God, the highest creature God ever created. But no one cares about him. All All they care about is themselves. What if God, why isn't that taught? Why isn't Romans 9.22 taught anywhere? What if God, willing to show his wrath, God wants to show his wrath. God wants to show his power, and there's only one way to do it, and that's to create some enemies, let them raise themselves up and oppose God, and then he grinds them under his eternal heel in the lake of fire. And then verse 23, brethren, and that he might make known the riches of his glory. God also wants to show how glorious he is Amen. on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Afore prepared unto glory. Afore prepared unto glory. What in the world does that mean? Afore prepared unto glory. That God before the foundation of the world prepared a people and put their names in the book of life, committed them to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by a covenant transaction that he would come and die for them, that they would for all of eternity be able to see and praise his everlasting glory and grace and mercy. And they're called the vessels of mercy because God created them for mercy and he created some for wrath. And I love a God that powerful. And all I can do before a God that powerful is to fall on my knees and beg for mercy. And as he sends mercy into my soul by his Holy Spirit, I can thank him and love him and serve him. Do you know if you ever got a picture of this? There's no sacrifice on earth that should be difficult to make. None. But you will hear my voice this morning. And if the seed falls by the wayside because you do not pay attention, Satan is going to come and pluck it away. If you love the things of this life, you're going to hear what I say this morning. You're going to go out of here. And when you see all that America has to offer you, you're going to partake of it and forget what I've said this morning. If you are not convinced and your heart is fixed on what I'm saying, you'll go out of here. Some bad things are going to come your way, some calamities, some troubles, some tribulations, and you're going to forsake what you're hearing this morning. And there's only going to be a few that hear the truth, humble themselves before it, and bring forth fruit. Right. And that's what I pray for the whole congregation and for me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. How could I waste 11 years not giving him my absolute all, 168 hours a week? Let the God of free will handle Romans 9, 21 through 24. Even us, brethren, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. If you're here this morning, and you love God, 
and you want to serve God, and you are willing to submit yourself to anything God has said, forget tradition. God hates tradition. Forget your family. God hates family members when they mess with someone's faith. Forget everything. If you love God and you see in there that he has the right to treat you the way that we just read in Romans 9, and you know that by that you want to submit yourself to whatever God's word says, no matter what it is, you can know that you're a vessel of mercy. No one else thinks that way. Churches are full of people this morning. Their minds are on where their jobs tomorrow. Their minds are on what they're going to do this afternoon. Their minds are on the woman in the pew in front of them. Their minds are on the mistakes the pastor's making. But their mind is not gripped with God. Their mind is not seeking God. There is no thought of God in all their thoughts. They do not think of God in all their thoughts. But they fill churches. Okay, let's go back to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Is this taught anywhere else in the Bible? That sometime before the foundation of the world, God made some choices for human the destiny of human souls? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And who loves God? To them who are the called according to His purpose. Why don't they preach that? They all love the first half of the verse. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. I've heard it thousands of times in my life. All things work together for good. Do you know what part of the verse I like? The last part of the verse. According to His purpose. That lifts up the, my God, and it humbles me to a worm. And i got to say, God, be merciful to me. I like the last part of the verse. Amen. According to his purpose, for, and here's his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. There's comfort in the first half of verse 28, but you know what I mean this morning. Right. They all want to emphasize what they're getting. And I want to give glory. Give God the glory. For whom he did foreknow. Not what he did foreknow. When God, Listen, when God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see what you would do, do you know what he found? He found that every single one of us went out of the way. We hated God. There was no understanding. We didn't fear God. There was none righteous. No, not one. He couldn't find one human being in the history of this world that sought after him. It's not what he foreknew, it's the fact that he foreknew some individuals, because that is a personal pronoun for whom he did foreknow. Brethren, he knew us for, before, afore prepared to glory. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He knew your name, he put it in the book of life. He knew your name. He inscribed it in the hands of your blessed Savior. Amen. For, for whom he did foreknow. What did he do for, the, for those he did foreknow? He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He wanted the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a man, saved and delivered into heaven itself, to have many brothers, not, an, not angels, and many brothers from Adam's fallen race. And he has predestinated that we will be conformed to look just like Jesus Christ. Right. Do you know that someday I'm going to be just like Jesus Christ? And do you know what I have to tell you this morning? So will you. Amen. 
Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all by sovereign power. Who performeth all things for me. I'm thankful he does. I can't perform them myself. Moreover, verse 30, let's not, you know what moreover means? Don't quit before you get it all. Because right. verse 29 was good, but look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Listen, that sounds pretty sure to me that those that he foreknew, those that he set his affection upon, to foreknow someone is to know someone beforehand. To know someone is to love them. Because that's how the Bible uses the word know. It says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she had a son. Does that help you understand the word know? It should. It, It means more than he knew her name and telephone number. Babies don't result from names and telephone numbers. Babies result from an intimate relationship between two people, and that's what it means by the word no. God said in the book of Amos, chapter 3, of all the nations of the earth, I've only known Israel. Well, he knows everything, but he only knew them with an affectionate relationship, and that's what it's saying here, that God knew us with affection, he purposed to save us, and he planned it, and he will perform it. He will perform all things for you and for me, all the way to glorification, which means being in heaven with a brand new body that's going to live forever. If you don't love what I'm preaching to you this morning, you're worshiping the God of free will, or you're worshiping the God of this world, and I, your soul is in danger. We don't believe in easy believism here or any other excuse called the means of salvation. You better love what you're hearing. Or the God of heaven will extract all the honor and glory out of you by torment. Romans 8, verse 31, the apostle gets to, he concludes by saying, What shall we then say to these things? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. What can you say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Can you be against you? What if you don't do everything that you're supposed to do? Can you be against you? No one can be against us because God has purposed it from beginning to end, from before the foundation of the world to after the foundation of the world has been melted. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If Jesus died for you, you are going to get everything else, or God would be wasting the death of his son. What that verse is saying, if God sent his son to die for you, surely he's going to give you everything else that goes with it. And if someone says, but it says he died for us all, of course it says that. That's Paul talking about himself and about the church at Rome. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. All of you should know these places to go. Ephesians chapter 1. Who shall say anything? If the... What shall we then say? Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us 
in him before the foundation of the world. Look at that. That is so simple, so easy to understand, and no one wants to believe it because it puts the power in God's hand instead of their hand. Everyone wants to be the God, the determining factor of their own destiny. But the Bible says that God chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. And I want to emphasize that God can create a soul and choose the destiny of that soul. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love is the result of God's choice of us in Christ Jesus because someday we'll be conformed to the image of his son and we will be holy and without blame before him in love. Having, here's how he did it. The same words from Romans 8. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. It is by predestination that is determining your destiny beforehand. According to the good pleasure of his will. Your will. Look at the words that the apostle chooses. But they're not even the apostle's words. They're God's words. According to the good pleasure of his will. Not your will. His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Not your obedience or your acceptance or anything. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Everyone today wants to talk about accepting Jesus. That's not going to get you anywhere. What counts is God accepting us. It doesn't matter whether you accept Jesus or not. It's God accepting us. And notice, God has made us accepted in the Beloved. Because we're in Jesus Christ, and God accepts His Son, and we are in Him by predestination and choice, we are accepted. Fully accepted before God. And that's what counts. In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. There is no way in the English language that you can describe a more despotic character than right there. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. He didn't even have to tell us about it. And do you know for 4,000 years no one knew about it? The mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. is. Can we say that salvation is of the Lord? Amen. Do you know what Jonah said in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9, when that whale was regurgitating him out? After three days down there in the belly of that great fish, do you know what he said? Salvation is of the Lord. Now, brethren, I hope that you're saying that in your souls right now. Salvation is of the Lord. It is His will, His good pleasure, and to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He hath purposed in Himself. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated. There it is again. 
Remember, when someone asks you, what kind of Baptist are you? You can say, I am a predestinarian Baptist. Because we believe in predestination, that will get a conversation going. Because if they're the average Christian today, they can't even pronounce the word, let alone understand it, and they've never heard it. And you know why we believe in predestination? To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath purposed that we should see something that we would never see without His grace and mercy. There is no haughtiness in that. It is all thanksgiving and blessing to God who has shown us that these verses are at least as important as any other verse in the Word of God. He has predestinated us, this is verse 11, predestinated according, now listen to these words, brethren, according to your accepting Him, according to your good works, according to you being a nice guy, according to you not kicking the dog, according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. All His purpose. If you ever trust in Christ, you know whose purpose it was that you would trust in Christ? The purpose of God. Amen. And it's to the praise of His glory. Isn't that Romans chapter 9, that He has some vessels to glory? Yes. He's willing to show His glory. And so he's done that in us, the vessels of mercy. Look at Second Timothy chapter 1. You say, this is so simple. I've heard these things before. I know, but don't you love them? Amen. Don't they put God up higher and us down lower? Amen. I, want you, I want to get you down into where you have to say every day, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We'll have been successful. If you don't like this, God, I can tell you that you're in the majority. You're in the majority. Remember, truth has never been held by a majority. It's always been held by a very, 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 very small minority. I like the days of Noah. Eight to 40 million. Eight had the truth. 40 million didn't. And how did Noah get saved in the ark? Because he was so wise that he saw the clouds coming. He measured the hair on the belly of a caterpillar and realized that next year is going to be a big rain. By the grace of God. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's all of grace. This is the God of the Bible and I love him. And I'm happy to be his ambassador to you. We don't fear him enough. But he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Who hath saved us. Paul is writing to Timothy. So there's two men in the word us who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Timothy, God saved us and he's called us and everything that he's done in us, he purposed by his grace in Christ Jesus before the world began to do that for us. That's where salvation started. And once God starts it, what shall we then say to these things? He's going to finish it. All the way through to glorification. But then Paul says in verse 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. God's great purpose of salvation 
became manifest or obvious when Jesus Christ came to this world, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Why do we preach the gospel? In order to get people saved? Are you kidding? Paul never preached it for that reason. Paul knew that he preached the gospel in order to tell the elect of what God had done for them. Because notice that 10th verse, it says that the gospel brings life and immortality to light. The gospel doesn't bring life and immortality. The gospel brings it to light. The gospel shows it to us. The gospel reveals it. Because it's been a mystery according to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes. Was Paul running around the world for everyone's sake? Nope. No, I endure all things. What is all things to Paul? Beating, stoning, shipwreck, nakedness, peril of robbers, all sorts of hardships that he suffered. I endure all things for the elect. Now, is there anything that we can lay to the charge of God's elect? No, from beginning to end, they're secure. But why was Paul laboring for the elect? That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God's already guaranteed their eternal glory because they're prepared for glory. But there's another salvation, and that's knowing about it while we're here. And Paul went everywhere spreading the word so that God's elect would know about their salvation. That's 2 Timothy Chapter 2 and verse 10. Now, brethren, God hasn't done this for everyone. Look at Jude, the little book of Jude. It's the second from the last book of your New Testaments. Look at the little book of Jude. God hasn't done this for everyone. When God chooses a soul to save it, we call that election. We're going to have an election in a few weeks, right, in this country, because we're going to choose a president. Well, when God chooses men to salvation, it's called election. When God doesn't choose a man to salvation, but rather chooses him to condemnation, what is that called? And believe Reprobation. Reprobation. Did you know that the churches of Christ used to know that? Did you know that it used to be taught? Did you know that it's in good old systematic theologies, the doctrine of reprobation? He said, it's a horrifying word. I have a little bit of concept of what you're talking about, but yes, it is. And it causes men to humble themselves in fear and dread before the mighty God and beg for mercy. Some men like to talk about election. No men like to preach about reprobation. Hardly. Hardly any. Reprobation is God's choice for a vessel of wrath. Look at Jude, verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse tells us that there were men before of old. You can go all the way back to some period of time that you can call old, and before that, God ordained some men to condemnation. Ungodly men. 
men who use the religion of Jesus Christ to teach a cheap brand of Christianity to where men could live any way they wanted to. They turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Willism of our generation. As long as you invited Jesus into your heart and you wrote down that date somewhere in your Bible, you can say, I'm saved because I made a choice way back there on that date I can live any way I want because once saved, always saved. I've been taught that way for 43 years, except for the years that God's given me to see His truth. That's what they teach. You make a decision for Jesus right now, and you can go to heaven when you die. But I don't find that in the Word of God. I find God making a decision for me that I can go to heaven when I die. And it's all of grace. And the only hope I have in my soul and my mind of being one of God's elect, is to live for Him now. We have the highest motive for good works. They say, if election is true, then you can live any way you want because you can't get elected if you're not, and you can't get unelected if you are. So you can live any way you want. That is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, and they're proving where they're going. I can take you to other places to show you that. It's Romans chapter 3, but I won't. It says it enough right here. You know the only way you can know you're one of God's elect? The system of salvation in the Bible is absolutely flawless. God gets every bit of glory, and the highest motive in the universe for us to bring forth good works is in this doctrine. Amen. Because in Second Peter chapter 1, it says the only way we can know that we're one of God's elect and that heaven is guaranteed for us is to be diligent in bringing forth the eight things that are there listed. Faith, knowledge, virtue, brotherly kindness, charity, temperance. Is that beautiful? God, because God is infinitely wise. He's got a whole lot better scheme of salvation than men have cooked up. They've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. I spent the first 30 years of 26 years, 20 years of my life, wherever you want to call the dividing point, hearing this other doctrine of salvation. I've seen so many people invite Jesus into their heart and make you sick. I've seen them come down by the hundreds and the thousands and do it. And I've seen all of those people turn and go live for themselves without any regard for God for the most part. For instance, there was a church in Hammond, Indiana, outside Chicago, in the suburbs of Chicago. Just a few years ago, I mean about five, where there's a pastor named Dr. Jack Hiles. He wanted to show that he was greater than the apostles on the day of Pentecost. So they planned this meeting for a great length of time, and he saved 15,000 in one Sunday and baptized them and made the proclamation that he had beat Pentecost five times over. But some other good ministers, and that is a Baptist church, brethren, for which I'm ashamed to be called a Baptist with men like that in our country. But other ministers have gone and researched those 15,000 converts, and they could not find one that was living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it was all a sham of the easy believism, free willism of the God of this world. I want to tell you about a different God. I want to tell you about the God that created the heavens and the earth. And that when he wets his glittering sword, he will bring forth vengeance and judgment to the very end. There'll be no adversary that stands up against him. But the very same God also chooses to have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he saves them by his mighty power. And if you fall for mercy on that God... 
You'll be broken in repentance, but you'll be saved. And those that won't fall on him, Jesus said, I am a great stone. You can fall on me and be broken, or I'm going to fall on you and grind you to powder. Those are the precious words of the sweet Lord Jesus Christ. And he is sweet indeed to those that know him truly. Let's look at God's choice. Matthew chapter 7. Did you all see that in Jude chapter 1 and verse 4 that there were men before of old ordained to condemnation? Is that horrifying? Could it be you? It could be you, but if you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, even if you're struggling against sin, it's not. Isn't that wonderful? I love that God. I love power. I love glory. I can't wait to see him display it to the universe. And I love affection. And I know that I'm beloved, and I can't wait to get to heaven and hold the Lord Jesus Christ and thank him for loving a great sinner. But I'm not going to heaven to meet anyone else to thank them for getting me there. I loved my dear grandfather very much. But he gave his testimony. It was recorded on cassette tape before he died. And he said he couldn't wait to get to heaven to meet the man that had given him a gospel tract in a train station in Corey, Pennsylvania. And I I loved him dearly. If God's been merciful on his soul, I know that he's learned something new. He forgot all about that man when he got to heaven. All he could think about was that he wanted to push the crowd away so that he could get to the feet of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's all we're going to be doing there. We're not going to worry about meeting David to see why he took five stones in his shepherd's bag, and you're not going to be there to check the navel of Adam. We don't even know that Adam's going to be there. You're going to be there to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You aren't going to be there to see your mama and your daddy. You're going to be there to see Jesus Christ because he's the glory of that place. Amen. But let's look at the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are some that God, that Jesus Christ has never known. And that doesn't... Listen, can you all just think for a minute about the English word no? I never knew you. Does that mean that Jesus did not know they existed? Does it mean that Jesus never loved them? Absolutely. I never knew you. You were never a friend of mine. You were never someone I died for. You were never anyone I cared for. I never knew you. That is a... Do you understand the sovereignty of that statement? Those people are saying to him, Wait a minute, Lord. We've preached in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. We've done many wonderful works in your name. And he will say, I never knew you. You are an imposter. You are taking my name and had no right to it. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
That is the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a different group of people, though. He foreknew. Isn't that wonderful? He foreknew us. He knew us all the way from before the foundation of the world. And he's going to say to them, I've been working on something for you from the foundation of the world. It's called heaven. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's a big difference. And you know where it hangs? On a single letter of the English alphabet. I, when the I is a pronoun referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Has God exalted him highly? He's a man with that kind of authority. How many believe the gospel? Acts 13, 48, I'll give you a hint. How many believe the gospel? As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Acts 13, 48. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. If we love him because he first loved us, then why, don't, why doesn't everyone love him? Because he didn't love them. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We love him because he first loved us. God loved us and sent his spirit into our hearts, whereby we love him in return and cry, Abba, Father. Because he said, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He chooses to love. There's no obligation in God to love men. What in the world would he love? Mud? Remember, we're the lump of clay. He didn't love his angels that sinned against him. Why? He cannot love a sinful object. He can only love a holy object, and the way he makes us holy is by a choice to conform us to the image of his Son in love. The glory of his grace. We love him because he first loved us. Look at John chapter 6. John 6. I believe in free will. I believe in God's free will. That he is not bound in his will to any man. He could have willed or chosen to have left the whole race to their just condemnation. But he chose to save some. John chapter 6, verse 38. These are the words of Jesus Christ. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Notice there is a will that dictated the purpose for Jesus Christ's life. And it was the will of the Father. Verse 38. I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me that I should make eternal life possible for whoever wants to exercise their will? This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Amen. Amen. That is the Father's will, that Jesus Christ would not lose a single one that was committed to him by covenant. There was a covenant before the world began that Jesus would come into this world and die for you so that God could continue loving you forever and give you heaven as your home. And the rest of this race of beings on this planet that are not in that number are left to their just sentence and the wages of sin is death. Nor did God send his son 
to raise up any of those fallen devils. Because he will show his wrath and his power in them. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you want to follow Jesus Christ this morning? You're one of his sheep. And I give unto them eternal life. John 10, 28, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Amen. My Father, which gave them me. Wait a minute. My Father, which gave them me. There's God's choice again. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. What I want you to see is that there is a choice. There is a will in salvation. It's God's will. Amen. It's God's glorious eternal will of putting us in the Lord Jesus Christ for, God to, for Jesus to save. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote the Thessalonians and said, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Is there election taught in the Bible? From cover to cover. Why doesn't anybody see it? Why don't they see that God elected Noah to save him from the flood? He didn't destroy. He could easily have drowned everyone. Do you think there was enough water to drown eight more? Yep. Was there enough? And then he could have created another Adam. Would it, would, have, would it have been difficult for God to have breathed life into some more dust to create another Adam? There's election. Eight get saved. The rest get drowned. How about the nation of Israel? How big was it? The smallest of all nations. What did God think and do for the rest of the nations? Nothing. Left them in total darkness. They were worshiping stumps and sticks and stones and stars and sun and moon. But only Israel did he reveal himself to. Right. Election. And so it is for us. In the New Testament, the Bible's filled with it. I'm going to finish right there. I have more to say to you tonight. Because I didn't get to where I wanted to get, it's hard to conclude right now because I want to show you where we're going to be tonight. that you have ever seen this or heard it preached or believe it is an incredible blessing. Amen. And it's all by sovereign choice just as much as the choice that was made before the foundation of the world. Right. If this morning you have a hope and a love for Jesus Christ and you want to serve him, and you believe that there's a God like I've described, and he has a right to be that way, and you want to humble yourself before him and obey him, and nothing matters in life except him, you are one of God's elect. Right. If you like this world and you're worried about the things in your life, then you need to be questioning the salvation of your souls. You can't do anything about it except to fall at his feet and beg for mercy. Amen. And if he reaches down and fills your heart with hope that you can cry, Abba, Father, unto God, it's a blessed moment to know that you're one of his. Right. And though that, those precious, that precious assurance and comfort that we get from the Holy Ghost is by obeying. If you're wondering why you don't have more of it, it's because you haven't obeyed enough. Right. You haven't fully fallen on the rock, Christ Jesus.
you're holding back in your life. You're making something, you're letting something else be more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not have that assurance. I can't give it to you. I can only tell you how to get it. And that's to fall on the Lord Jesus Christ and beg for mercy. Jesus said, that man went down to his house justified. And he wasn't talking about the legal phase of salvation. He said that by, he was saying by his Holy Spirit, that man knew when he went to his house that God was with him. Do we all know the little chorus, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul? Let's stand together for a minute and sing it, even if we don't know it.